Hi, CityCast listeners. Ever thought about who put the first footprints on the coast of Texas? Well, today we'll explore some of the history you may not have known about the original settlers of the Houston area with Absalom Yetzirah, a Karankawa native and council member of the Five River Council. It's Wednesday, January 4th. I'm Carly Ann Jones, and this is CityCast Houston. Absalom, welcome to CityCast. Hi, thank you for having me. Okay, so I want to talk to you um, about the history of the Kwankwa, um tribe in Houston. So could you give me a short briefing on the history of the Kwankwa in the Houston area, like uh, Galveston Bay area, Fort Bend area? Well, in short, uh, Karankawa people have been in Galveston for a very long time, spanning from here up into the San Antonio areas and stretching across towards Corpus Christi. Mm-hmm. So Karankawa people had the entire coast of Texas, mm-hmm. just shy of reaching the Louisiana border. Oh, wow. And Karankawa oral history says that uh, we were not originally from this place, from the coast of Texas, mm-hmm. but that we were travelers. And our story says that we traveled to the place where we found no footprints. Mm. So that place would have been the coast of Texas. And then we began to live and settle along the coasts of Texas. And uh, we have been there ever since, except for a a point in time in history with Texas settlers and the Mexican government, Mm -hmm. where Karankawa people were hunted down and pushed out of Texas to benefit Texas settlers. And we lived as refugees in Mexico for about 100 years until Karankawa people began to migrate back to the United States, back into Texas. This, of course, was due to some struggles with the Mexican government, Mm -hmm. um, things going on between the Mexican government and Texas. And it wasn't until Texas was assumed by the United States that Karankawa people started moving back in full to Texas. That's how we ended up coming back to several of our settlements that we had, whether it be down in Corpus or in the Valley area here in Houston. Most Karankawa people didn't fully return back to this area, the Houston area, until the late 40s when those families started migrating back this way. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that kind of leads into my next question, because most history sources claim that the Karankawa people had disappeared from Texas, the Texas coast in 1860 completely, like as if the tribe was completely extinct because of these problems with uh, the Spanish and um, like assimilation, things like that. So do you feel like calling it an extinct tribe is an accurate depiction or do you feel like it was just more so of a survival tactic? So the word extinct would denote that everything was wiped out, obliterated. Mm -hmm. And while that was very much the goal of Sam Houston and the rest of the Texas settlers to eradicate us, that wasn't what happened. Karankawa people, since the beginning of the history of settlers, colonizers, conquistadors, and explorers coming to the coast of Texas, Mm -hmm. have never been a friend to anyone who has come past that uh, water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and history shows that. French, Spanish, English, we considered them all an enemy. 
Uh, and that was most of our relationship with the surrounding tribes as well. We we had a very big thing. If you were not Karankua, you were not trusted at mm-hmm. all. We only trusted inside. With that, that always gave the notion that we were their enemies. So they 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 eventually, in the end, like I said, they pushed us out. And where history shows that is that the last of the Karankawa members were pushed down uh towards the Corpus Christi area. Mm-hmm. And that was where they were forced with a very big decision. And that a decision was, and that's where the tribe really split in half. Mm-hmm. The decision was, do we continue to be Karankawa or do we assimilate? Mm-hmm. And half of the tribe decided, well, we'll stay here in Texas and we'll assimilate. That means taking on Spanish last names or French last names. Uh, dissolving your entire oral history and picking up mm. new. So a lot of families intermarried. They mm. intermarried into Spanish or French families. Very few married into white families. And then the other half, that's those were the ones that lived for all those years in Mexico as refugees. They mm. decided they were not going to be anything but Karankawa and that they would move uh, to where they could settle and be themselves. That's something that was an issue with the Mexican government at that time through all those years is they could not get Karankawa people to assimilate. Mm. So now, now coming back to the United States in those times, you could not identify as Karankawa. That was the other thing with those families. Was it dangerous to do so? It was very dangerous to do so. There was still a lot of inherited racism against Native American people, specifically mm-hmm. Karankawas. It was things where people were were fearing to go back because where they wanted to settle was already someone else's land and they didn't want any problems, you know. Mm-hmm. And in those times, uh, you could get killed very easy and no one would bat an eye, especially if you were not white. Yeah. And so why do you feel like the racism was specific to Kawankawa people? Because our tribe, unlike several other tribes in the United States, would not make treaties Mm. with Texas, with settlers, with anything like that. No, 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 no. You don't get to come here and say, oh, well, we're going to make peace and you give us this landing. We'll give you this little portion of something. Yeah. That doesn't work for us. Everything that you're on belongs to us. Mm-hmm. And with those mentalities, the one without the gun and the one with the gun, they're going to do what they do. Mm-hmm. And so that's why Karankawa people with the with the weapons that they had at that time had a very hard time fighting back French and Spanish and English settlers because mm-hmm. they had weapons. You know, the famous story that you hear here in Texas is uh, we call it the Night of 300 Howls. Texas history calls it the Battle of Two Trees. Mm. in where 300 Karankawa warriors went down to rescue a young Karankawa girl on the Galveston Bay. And Mm -hmm. the famed pirate Lafitte defeated those 300 warriors who only had axes and bows with a cannon. He was shooting cannons into the crowd of men. So there's no way to defeat that, you know. Yeah. All all 300 perished on that night. Mm. And uh, so, so that... That again is is why there was so much hate and racism inherited and bred into people in, in Texas against Karankawa because we wouldn't give up the land. 
Yeah. And so on that note, that's something else that I read about the Karankawa people is that y'all don't have tribal lands and treaties or official recognition from the state or federal government because of this. So are y'all working to change that? Is that something that you want to establish? We're in a very interesting time right now with Karankawa people. Uh, as most people are coming to find out, we never were extinct and our mm-hmm. families and clans have always lived uh, in secrecy. Several of us have lived together knowing other clan members mm-hmm. uh, and uh, families. And then the best thing about modern history now is the, or the modern times is the internet and technology. Yeah. Um, we have been able to find each other all across the United States by um, leaving comments on people's research papers that they put online Mm-hmm. Um, most recently, the most famous is Karankawas.com. Mm. It's a website run by a young man named Tim Cedar. But several of us had messaged that and him and his good heart said, hey, let me put y'all together because y'all keep messaging me, mm-hmm. but I'm not Karankawa. So y'all should, y'all should message each other. Uh-huh. And within in the first meetings of, of five families uh, of Karankawa descent, that's how we ended up putting together the first recognized government, (laughs) if you could say that, Mm -hmm. of Karankawa people, which was the Five Rivers Council. Oh, that's beautiful. And we named that Five Rivers Council after the five major rivers of Texas that we settled upon. Mm -hmm. That's where we live. But uh, um, since then, that, that, that time, the council, the main focus of the council uh, for the tribe has been education. That mm-hmm. is that Karankawa people are still here. And most of the culture that you read about in books and online um, is either a lie or very vague concerning our culture. So we do a lot of that presentations on what is our culture. Mm. Um, and so that's the goal of, of the council now. Now mm-hmm. to say that, that conversation has been in several of the of the meetings. What mm-hmm. do we do about this? The older generation, I'm 41. Mm-hmm. My generation up does not seek any state recognition, mm-hmm. any federal recognition, any tribal lands, anything like that. Mm-hmm. The reason why is because if you think about it over so many generations of existing, knowing who you are as a Karankawa person, mm-hmm. the rest of those things became menial. The mm-hmm. most important thing came, am I alive? Do I have my family? And is my family being fed? And are they healthy and happy? Mm-hmm. And that became the main focus of a lot of Karankawa people over the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. Now, the younger generation, these guys are intense, very much involved with social justice, uh, climate mm-hmm. change, environment, you know, stuff like that, protesting and all that. They do believe that we should seek to be a recognized tribe and mm-hmm. and go to the state of Texas, you know, and seek recognition. And that's the thing that we say. So what is it that you seek in recognition? Do you just want to be seen? Mm-hmm. Or do you want some sort of land or money? Mm-hmm. You have to think about that. Yeah. And the person that you're going to ask, being the state of Texas in the United States, 
how will they receive that? Mm -hmm. You know? So it's kind of like a disconnect between the younger and the older older generation on if you should seek it or not, basically. It's not really a disconnect. We Mm -hmm. agree. We Mm -hmm. support the younger generation. It then becomes a, a subject of choosing your battles wisely Mm. and what is your purpose and your mission Mm -hmm. right now we are the first council in close to 100 years Mm -hmm. so where we're at now is that as the council it's just a decision of this is what our mission is and this is what we're supposed to do and when it's time for you to step into these shoes that is your mission and that is what you're supposed to do and so you have a lot of time to think about what it is you're going to do and how you're going to do it because mm-hmm. that's not going to be an easy fight. Yeah. So um, as you were speaking about earlier, um, a lot of Kawankawa people are left to kind of piece together the history orally. Uh, what was that experience like for you personally growing up? So a lot of our families um, retained oral history uh, and mm-hmm. the history was kept in secret a lot of times. Many families would tell their history indoors and then with the warning of, but don't tell anybody because it'd be dangerous for you. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you're Karankawa, but you tell people that you're Mexican or, mm-hmm. you know, this or that, but, but you know that you're Karankawa and you know that these are our ways. Those traditions of the tribe, of the clans, they continue to exist within these families. The only thing, thing that changes is is this um nationality of mm-hmm. the family you know uh but but that fear was instilled and existed even into my grandmother's days oh wow you know when when internet came out and we'd start researching i as a young man in my in my 20s at that time you know my grandmother would always go well, you need to be very careful with the things that you're doing. There's a lot of dangerous people out there and they don't want you to 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 be who you are and and this and that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it just it just went on that way even to my mother's generation where they they are aware of their indigenous background. Mm-hmm. Choose not to acknowledge it because they were instilled with this fear so they they just go into life going that's a part of me, but th- but this is this is what I am. I'm not going to openly say that part. I'm wow. going to say I'm Latino or mm-hmm. I'm Hispanic, you know, because of whatever. And several of 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 them end up with businesses and and beautiful careers, mm-hmm. you know. So for them, it's again, it was a fear. Let me not bring this up because it may jeopardize what I have going on right now. Mm. Okay, okay. And like, as we also spoke about earlier, that the Kuankawa people were basically, well, were the first settlers in Galveston Bay Area. Um, How has that fact influenced the current culture that is in the Houston, Galveston area to to this day? I don't think it has influenced the culture at all. I I believe, um, honestly, uh, Texas reached its goal and Mm. made us disappear. And with that disappearance was the installation of a whole new way of life and culture. Hmm. First of all, let's talk about Houstonians. Mm -hmm. Most Houstonians think that Sam Houston founded Houston. Yeah. (laughs) They don't even know the proper history of the Allen brothers coming from New York City Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. buying a plot of land and developing it into a commercial mm-hmm. c- city. Mm-hmm. You know, so I believe that Texas uh, did a really good job in what their goal was. They said mm-hmm. we're going to erase these people and any culture of them and their existence. Mm-hmm. We're going to instill our own culture and our own way of life. And in a hundred years, we'll put up a plaque on the side of the highway and say, oh, this used to be a campground of the Karankawa people in which you now live on. But yeah. they're extinct. So don't worry about that. Continue to thrive in whatever your culture is, you know. Mm-hmm. So for us, it becomes this thing where we're caught. We love who we are. We love the city that we live in. I, I could tell you I love Houston, mm-hmm. you know. I love the way she looks. I love the bayous. I love the parks. I love the people, the industry, the food, all of those things. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I love being Karankwa, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's just where we are now. Is it a meeting you in the middle? Did I assimilate? I did assimilate, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I speak English and I speak Spanish and I'm, I'm barely now learning Karankawa language. So so it becomes a a thing right now where where as a Karankawa individual and and being a Texan or living in Houston or whatever city we live in, we are very proud of those things. You know, we we do love those things. Mm -hmm. But again, it's it's choosing those battles. I'm not going to live my life every day saying, oh, well, you stole my land or you did this or Mm -hmm. whatever those things are. This is very true, and I'll never forget that history, mm-hmm. but that is the history, and this is the present, and I have to determine what I'm going to do with the present to ensure that there is a future for Karankawa people that are coming up and mm-hmm. who will be living in this modern world. Mm-hmm. How can people who want to experience the Karankawa culture do it in a respectful way? The best way you can experience Karankawa culture and do it in a respectful way is by being a friend to Karankawa people, mm-hmm. you know, um, that that's part of the part of the experience in the culture. Uh, we have met several individuals over this time mm-hmm. and they have come and they've sat with several of us at fires and prayed with us, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that is the culture, you know, mm-hmm. learning to to develop trust between two individuals, you know, mm-hmm. and how two individuals can share something that maybe they have to better each other. You know, that's Karan- that's Karankawa way. That that was our way from the beginning. Thank you so much for coming on to CityCast today. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you all so much for having us. That was Absalom Yetzirah. If you want to know more about the history of the Kwankawas, there will be a link in the show notes. Now, I'm here with producer A.K. Almoman. A.K., what else is going on around Houston? Hey, Carly. Happy New Year. I have some good news for us today. While the 36-hour freeze that happened over Christmas did cause some damage, most experts and repair outfits are reporting that a majority of said damage is contained to outside pipe systems and requires minor repairs. 
Phone calls for repairs are flooding in, and one cannot help but think of what happened two years ago during such a freeze. But it seems that not only was the city more prepared, but people were as well, staying on top of insulating pipes, and it allowed plumbers around the city to work more expeditiously to fix any issues. Now, that is not to say that the city can do better. Older homes around town need much-needed upgrades to avoid leaks, low water pressure, or complete loss of water. Sanitation in the city needs to improve, and more consideration for Houston's hard water needs to be taken into account, as it can cause damage over time that can get exposed during these events. While the grid made sure to stay up, our infrastructure issues need a lot more foresight, and we are seeing the results of the desperate need to repair it all across the country. It is time for Houston to build a modern city that accounts for its erratic weather patterns and a future where our response times are more proactive than just reactive. That's it for our show today here at CityCast Houston. If you enjoyed the show, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell a friend to tell a friend because we'll be back tomorrow with another great episode. Until then, bye. Um, where you, you have to, uh, excuse me, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine.